Welcome, Switched On Crew. Dan here with today's signals around creating confident learners. With me is Garrett Grouse, the Global Director of Education for Kidzania. A great quote from Garrett in the episode, confident people perform better. So the idea that we enable our children and girls in particular to become more confident learners has to be a good thing. Come join us and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Switched On Podcast. Today, we have Gare Grouse with us. Gare is a Global Director of Education for Kidzania, and he's a champion of true learning and making a positive impact on kids and others. I'm excited to have Gare on the show. Welcome, Gare. Please, if you can give people a bit more background beyond what I've just done in the intro, and then we'll dive in discussion. Perfect. It's very good to be with you, Dan, and thanks, thanks for the invitation to... Uh, to join you. So I'm, I'm in, in the north of England at the moment in a city called Sheffield and, and I've kind of landed there via all sorts of places. I, I was born in the Netherlands, uh, in the south of the Netherlands, uh, in a town near Maastricht and um, I went to school there and went to uni there and then there, there weren't many teaching jobs in Holland in those days uh, so I decided to, uh, to move to England for a year and get some experience and then I was going to move back. So 37 years later, uh, I still haven't moved back because I moved to England uh, to a place called Norwich. I liked it very much. Uh, I liked the children I taught. And then kind of life plays with you because you get promotion, so you stay a bit longer. And then, then I moved from Norwich to, to Hull in the north of England, and, and I got more promotion, moved to Manchester. And in my journeys, I kind of moved from teaching in a very small school in, in Norwich, uh, which, was, which was reasonably affluent, to then starting to work quite deliberately on some of the uh, very deprived council estates that are dotted around our, around our city. So I moved from Hull to Manchester, from Manchester to neighbouring Salford, and then eventually left teaching because I kind of had enough not of teaching, but of being taught, of being told what to teach. And, and, and government policy and testing, and I moved into the learning out of school. I started an NGO called Children's University that went global and then ended up working for, for Kidzania. And before that, I was a, an advisor, an inspector, a teacher, and you name it. So, so that's where I am, and that's where I've ended up, and that's what I'm doing now. And, and my role is global, which until... February of 2020 was brilliant because I got to travel everywhere since February 2020. It's been rather dull because I've been working from home. So, <laughs> so there we are. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a quite a journey and a great, a great string of different perspectives of the learning and uh, how you've pushed into um, expanding that. So I, I love the, I love it. Um, when you, when you look at the, um, you know, about your message and about your distinction on the learning and the knowledge and, and how we all gather that knowledge. One of the things that you said in the pre-show and in, in our discussion was children can only aspire to what they know exists um, or some version like that is what mm -hmm. you had said. I'd love for you to explore that a little bit and, and give me a little bit more insight on your thoughts there. 
So, so when I when I look back on that, I'll tell you in a minute where it where it kind of came from. But when I look back at that, and that this is of course doesn't just apply to children; it, it applies to people. Full stop. I when I moved to Norwich all those years ago, I was a language teacher. I was a, I taught German, and uh, and there were many arguments made that why should people in the United Kingdom learn a language because the world speaks English, so so why bother? And so what I did, and remember, this is pre-emails and pre-FaceTime and pre-anything, <laughs> really. Um, I, I partnered all the children I taught with another school in Germany, and we connected those kids in those days via letters or faxes. And, and they visited and they stayed in their homes and they did work experience over there. And what you did is you widened their horizons, and actually you let them find the reason why learning the other language was important. You didn't tell them, you put them in a situation where they could find out for themselves. Because in the end, what we all bring with us is our own set menu of experiences. So when I was 40 years old, I'd never been to the opera before. And when I went to my first opera, I was, I was excited and nervous, nervous because I didn't know quite how to behave in those circumstances but excited because it was a brilliant new experience. And that's very similar to, to what our children go through on a daily basis. And, and, it's the, and the kind of uh, that eureka moment in many ways came, that's about 20 years ago, I think. I was in charge of 30 schools in South Manchester, adjacent to Manchester Airport. And, um, and it was one of the most disadvantaged areas in the United Kingdom. And Manchester Airport was actively engaging with those schools because it had a long-term agenda. It's quite a visionary company. It had a long-term agenda. It wanted to recruit its workforce locally and enhance thereby the, the life chances and life opportunities of the children in the area. So I started talking to lots and lots of children in the area who were perhaps six, seven, eight years old. And I asked them the question, tell me the jobs you could do at the airport. And the answers I got were the things they could see, which amounted to about 45% of the jobs and 55% of the jobs they couldn't see, they didn't see, and therefore they couldn't aspire to. So, so just because of that, 55% of the opportunities did not exist. And then, remember the background of some of those youngsters and their context, uh, then I asked them the question, look, you can... You can fly planes. And the answer I got from six and seven-year-olds was, people from here don't fly planes. So the realization of that was the children don't like aspirations. We do that for them because mm. that comes from somewhere. And then you package that. And at some point, I turned up to the meeting and said, these kids can only aspire to what they know exists. And they don't know enough. And we can't teach them that in school. We have to show them that by looking out the window and let him, letting them experience what's really out there. And that's where that came from. And that's kind of stuck with, with me all through my working life, I suppose. Wow. That's, um, you actually really just connected the dots for me with that insight. The, it's really interesting because I look back on my college and when I was choosing the university to go to, there was – two universities for um, electronic engineering uh, that I studied. 
And I had the choice. One of them was very theoretical and one of them had a theory, but it also had a lab coupled with it. So experiential. And I chose that university because I knew the way I learned was, man, if I can get my hands on it, I, if, I, I knew I would learn it or understand it better than just sitting in a room studying formulas. But I, I didn't really connect the dots all the way until just now when you made that distinction about what they see versus what they don't see. And there, 45% of them uh, only chose the things that they could actually see. Boy, that's actually, unknowingly, that's actually how I made my choice for university was, wow, I got to be able to see it and I got to be able to experience it and I got to be able to expose the things that I can't see. So really cool. And, and, and all those years later, that's in a sense where the whole Kidzania thing sits. So cities built for children around 80,000 square foot where they can try jobs from flying airplanes on, on, on simulators to to in a hospital uh, performing a liver transplant, to being a television presenter, to cleaning windows, whatever it is. And, and in a sense, the importance, what we've done there is we, the minute you walk through the doors, um, adults are there to be seen and not heard. They cannot interfere. And everything is the children's choices. And whether they like something or dislike something is their choice. Whether something is difficult or not is their choice. And, and they walk away with tangible. So you produce the front page of a newspaper, for example, so you can be proud of something. And it's all about purpose and answering why questions. But the realization that came out of that, almost like a, a part two of the airport experience many years ago, was that once you provide that opportunity to those youngsters, youngsters who've not had many experiences like that in their lives, who, who come from socioeconomically disadvantaged contexts, they often lack the confidence to immediately go and fly the plane or perform the, the liver transplant. Just like me when I went to the opera for the first time, you have to just sit and watch for a little bit and that's okay as to how to behave in those circumstances. So those youngsters need more than one shot at it. And again, that realization that what we need to do, we need to build the education of our children, not on the preconceived ideas and the preconceived curricula we've got, but we need to build it around the aptitudes and capabilities of our children and grow them like plants. And, and, and that's, in a sense, is what it is. So we do global research uh, and, and we reach a number of conclusions uh, from that research on a massive scale, 600,000 children. And we, we analysed what their first choice is when they come to Kidzania. And then we look at who those children are. Are they four? Are they 14? Are they boys? Are they girls? Are they rich? Are they poor? Are they urban? Are they rural? Are they black? Are they white? And, and the conclusions are that all stereotypes are set at the age of four. So you walk in there and you do to see the pilot activity and that is 95% boys. And you see the cabin crew activity and that is 95% girls. And nobody's told them to do that. That's their choice when they're very little. There's almost no change between four and 14. And then kind of as a, as a father of two, two girls, quite disturbingly, almost all girls globally, regardless of their background, almost all girls globally choose activities below their age range. So hmm. nine-year-old girls choose seven-year-old activities. Nine-year-old boys 
reduce ten-year-old activity. So, so the issue there is a lack of confidence that many girls have. And then the other thing is children can only aspire to what they know exists. So, if you come from a disadvantaged background, you will never, ever, ever choose the pilot activity as your first choice. That will come on your second or your third visit, and and that's okay, incidentally, as long as there is a second or a third visit. So. So we capture that information and we give that information to educators. We give it to teachers, we give it to OECD, we give it to governments and say, you should know that. If you are serious about educating children rather than talking about grades all the time, then you should know this information because you can build your provision around how well you know the children. Yeah. Wow. Really, really good. I, I love the insight that the the confidence and uh age difference and the boys and girls is really stunning i i have i hadn't seen that study but um really really interesting insight and and that that also that automatically means if you you know that i know that everybody knows this is a life experience confident people perform better yeah 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 and 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 therefore, I mean, don't get me wrong, you can be overconfident, but, conf- <laughs> but confident people perform better. So the idea that we enable our, our children, our girls in particular, to become more confident learners has to be a good thing and has to be a good prerequisite for, for good academic and other performance. Yeah. So if you were to sum up, You've highlighted some of it, but if you were to sum up what you think are like the top three biggest misunderstandings about the education of children or the experience of children, um, what what would you sum those up to be? I think first and foremost, and the most important one, is that we need to distinguish very clearly between schooling and education. Schools are places where children are taught, and outside school is the place where children learn, and learn from experience. And and don't get me wrong, in schools, many children are taught brilliantly by many teachers. But if we look at what the school is, the school is a place, so so very simply put, a country has a government. The government decides what the children in school should be taught. That's called the national curriculum. The schools and the teachers are charged with doing that. Then the schools are inspected, and the children are tested, one could very easily argue to, uh, to quality assure how well the schools have delivered. And you can have a whole hour's conversation about schooling without mentioning the word child once. Yeah. But when it comes to learning, be that in museums, in parks, sports games, farms, wherever, the, the child learns, fulfills curiosity, and quite often, by themselves, connects that what's been learned with that what's been taught. We don't, we don't need to tell them that's English or that's maths. They right. will work that out. And I, so I think that, for me, is, is absolutely the key point. And then I think the other thing is what that means, and, and we in our systems, I think, are not very good at this. We, we need to trust the children as much as they trust us. Because when I go into schooling, we have rules and rules and rules. 
And when you walk around a school, you quite often come away with the knowledge of everything the child is not allowed to do, but you know very little about what they are allowed to do. You know that they're not allowed to talk. You know that they're not allowed to run. You know that they have to walk on the left or the right. You know, all those rules. But if you actually then walk away and say, what, what is it they can do? Then you have to scratch your head and think that through. And I think we, we just have to trust... I was in a school not that long ago where the children had to ask permission to go to the bathroom. I've never known anything quite as <laughs> ridic ridiculous like it. Yeah. Why, why, why can't we just have, have, have a set of agreements with the children whereby they can just go and, and we have to trust them that they're not going to abuse that? Yeah. And, at the and at the same time, remember that they're kids because, because all grown-ups were once children, but it seems to me that only very few of them remember it. Yeah. So we need to lighten up a bit as well, I think. So, <laughs> and I think that's it, really. And, and we need to believe in the, in the absolute unlimited potential, socially, emotionally, and intellectually, of our children. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a powerful statement. Because um, uh, it is unlimited, and all we do is try to throttle it down and get it to conform. Yeah. And if you yeah. think about it, I mean, my, 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 my good friend, the late Sir Ken Robinson, uh, would often say that schools teach creativity out of the children. Mm. So, so at the point of going to school, children would, are immensely creative, curious, playful. And, and as they start going to school, the rules take over and the rules prevent curiosity, prevent creativity and prevent playfulness. Yeah. And, 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 and if you then put on top of those rules an overzealous uh, obsession with health and safety and you throw all of that in the pot, then you have a straitjacket. Yeah. And straitjackets are not good for children <laughs> who are growing up. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, uh, you, you know, it's fun talking to you because you definitely trigger even back, you know, again, for me, I remember in elementary school, second or third grade teacher, I can't remember exactly, but I was always a really fast reader and I, and I had good comprehension. But when I was finished reading, I would then fidget at my desk and I would get in a lot of trouble because I was, you know, I, I was up to distracting other kids and I wasn't really paying attention. But I had this one teacher who at first she was, man, you can't be reading this fast. Then she would test me for my comprehension. He'd say, wow, you actually, you actually did it. So then she gave me the entire bookmobile and said, go, go read those. And she, she kind of was the one that embraced me to encourage me to just push myself. And it was wonderful. But for the most part, I was always getting in trouble for being fidgety and not sitting still and distracting class. So it, it, it really is uh, important uh, what you're highlighting here. But I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because you just, so clearly the teacher trusted you, the teacher saw you, the teacher worked with you. And, and, and my experience was quite similar. And it was, it was with German. My teacher came up to me and gave me a book and said, you're that good, you should read. But at the same time, so I, I, he gave me a purpose. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I never, I hated maths. I hated the sciences. And when I look back and when you have conversations with your friend over dinner, or friends over dinner, Ask them those questions. Which are the school subjects you didn't like? 
and why didn't and why didn't you like them and more often than not the answer is because you didn't understand why you had to do them so i remember the lesson i remember the lesson if a is two and b is three what is c i couldn't care less i don't even know what language you're speaking so why would i be bothered but if if somebody exemplifies makes things real for you if they if they put those sums in chocolate bars I, I would have been much more interested so i think i think it's about connecting with the real world and if you see that something has a purpose you're going to try better and harder yeah yeah no yep the purpose connection i i've i've personally said that a lot about certain things i had to study and i just didn't care and I remember clearly just being not connected at all to the purpose to it. So it felt like just it was a labor of, of torture. <laughs> so, yeah. The, um, well, that, that, that's really fun. When you look at the, um, the progress you've made on Kidzania, are you, are you guys testing or are you guys seeing how this experiential interactive you know kind of environment is is improving kids or is there is there certain measurables there that you're you're looking at so so yes and uh, yes and yes and also no so the, so the, the measurables are not the conventional school measurements yeah. so we don't we don't, we don't test i'm not interested in 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 the outcomes in math that, that's the school's job but our measurements lie in the in the in the areas of what some people call soft measurements. I'm not so sure that that's the right term, uh, but they are in those areas of confidence. They are in those areas of um, can you test measure that children's understanding of the world and what's possible is better. So we interview, we work with market research companies, but at the same time we work with Oxford University, we work with the National Research University in Moscow. We work with my friend Eric Abrams at Stanford University because what we do is we hold over a 20-year period. There are about 30 Kidzanias globally, another 20 in the making. Um, we hold the data anonymized on some 90 million children. Wow. And, and what we've said very clearly is we want to work with, with researchers who can use that information to make the world and education better so i'm not interested in the in the doctorate study whereby there's a there's a fine book produced for the bookshelf something has to happen after that and and that's what we do and what we and we're probably well we are i think the first ones globally to do that to actually say look there is an entertainment industry where the kids come and have a good time and learn but that entertainment industry is working with some very serious research universities and other researchers, like market researchers, to, to conclude to a number of findings that can help people who are educating the children in schools and elsewhere. And that's quite an inter interesting position because Kidzania did start as pure entertainment. Then came the realization that it's actually more than that. Then came the realization that, well, if it's more than that, what difference can we make? So. So we're still on a journey. We are, we are still on a journey. We've moved a lot. We're now working with some pretty big, important organizations to make that difference. But 
Not, not enough people have heard of us. Not enough people have been. We need to create an online version of this because not everybody can go. We need to make it more affordable for, for children from, from uh, uh, more deprived contexts. So there's a big job to be done, um, but, but we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. Well, it's, it's really uh, interesting, and I, uh, I've enjoyed getting to know and learn about it myself by getting to know and learn about Jews, so it really opened my eyes. Um, as we kind of head to, to the conclusion of the discussion, there's two things to, to kind of head into it. One is, I, I love for people to kind of you know, ask you the question around, if you were to have one takeaway from this show for people that you really want them to take away, what, what would that be? It is about, and this is, this is not my quote, this is my, this is my wife's quote, who is a principal of, of two schools in, in the local area. Uh, it is that uh, every child is everybody's responsibility. We, we have to stop compartmentalizing the education of our children. Parents are co-educators. Schools do not have the sole responsibility to teach children. Companies and businesses can't just sit there and say, when they're 16 and they come to us, they haven't got the skills we need them to have. Right. Get off the fence, roll your sleeves up, and invest your time and effort to create your employer of the future. So, so the education of the child needs to sit in the middle, and we need to work around that. And that's about the role we play. And so we need to become responsible. Yeah. And we need to hold our hands up. And incidentally, it's okay to get it wrong. Right? As yeah. long as you learn from it, because that's, that's part yeah. of the game. I, Lord knows I've done enough of that in my life uh, along my journey, so I totally appreciate that. Same here. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, so my last question is the fun one around a cauliflower moment, and uh, I, I just sum that up as a moment where you had a belief about something and you questioned it deeper and you wound up finding out that, wow, I was really on the wrong track with my initial belief. So do you have something that comes to mind uh, that you'd like to share people there, with? There are, so, uh, um, there are, there are hundreds, right? <laughs> there are hundreds. Uh, and they are both professional and personal. And I think I'd like to, to use, if I may, a personal one, which then kind of follows these things that haunt you in the nicest possible way for the rest of your life and the influence what else <laughs> you do. Uh, and, and, and I think some of this may resonate with, with some of your viewers. So when I, when I became a father for the first time all those years ago uh, I'm, I'm i'm somebody who prepares really well who reads up who who likes things in, a, in in good order so i was convinced before my eldest daughter anna was born that everything was in place and that i knew exactly um what was going to be what because i'd read the book and i'd seen the video and all those things <laughs> and then and then on the 17th of december this little heap is born and, and I'm holding her and I realized at that very moment that all of those books and all of those videos and all of those lessons and classes that I'd been to actually had not prepared me at all for one how I felt but the other thing is for, for all the things that followed and, and Anna is uh, is going to be 25 in, in, in two weeks time and and I'm still making it up as I'm going along and I'm still using my best judgment. So, so I think my, my, my cauliflower moment and what I take with me is now the realization that however well prepared you are, 
it, it life life springs its surprises and some of those are beautiful and 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 that's it really for me that was my cauliflower moment that stayed <laughs> with me for all that time oh i absolutely love that one and the uh it brings back a memory for me of my oldest uh, daughter, Marissa. You know, again, felt like I was prepared, but um, in the high chair trying to feed her uh, baby food and was not being real successful. So it was a mess. And I was trying to wipe her face and she was just screaming. And my mother-in-law was there and you know, I, I'm going through this huge thing, trying to make it all happen. And she looks at me and she says, are you using cold water or hot water on that towel that you're trying to wipe the face? And I'm like, Oh, I'm using cold water. And she goes, Oh, well, no wonder why she's screaming. Use hot water. So I use hot water. She's happy. She doesn't make any fuss. And I remember at that moment thinking, Oh my God, this is complicated. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> really fun. Well, listen, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and share your story and insight. It's, it's a powerful message, and it's, it's something all of us need to be continuously learning. And I love, uh, you know, your your wife's quote of every child is everybody's responsibility. Um, that one really rings true for me, and it's a powerful message. So appreciate you sharing that. And I will, in the show notes, I'll include a, a way for everybody to reach out and get in contact with you Perfect. if they you. want to connect and have further questions. So really appreciate it, Gare, and have a good rest of your day. Same to you, Dan. Thanks for having me.